You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. Today is week four of our Truly Free series. And before we jump into any content, there's something that you should know about me. And it's this, I love documentaries. Anybody else love documentaries? Okay, I know they're on the rise, like uh, they're everywhere now, but I love documentaries and I don't know why, maybe I'm just like a curious person, but I'm always like, how did that happen? Like, and I, I always wanna know the story. And a few years ago, I watched a documentary and it's, it's honestly one of the best that I've seen. They've actually made several of them now. But it's about a woman named Elizabeth Holmes, and she started a company called Theranos. And the company was like a breakthrough healthcare company, specifically when it comes to like blood testing. So they were creating new technology to make it faster, more accessible, where you needed less blood for the sample, all of those things. And Holmes raised over $700 million to fund that company. And at its height, the company was actually worth, the valuation was a $10 billion valuation. The board had like a former, you know, Secretary of Defense, former Secretary of State, some of the top CEOs, senators, like it was stacked. And Forbes actually called Holmes the youngest self-made female billionaire when she was only 30 years old. And a lot of people compared her to like the next Steve Jobs. Um, The only problem was the whole thing was built on a lie. Uh, The technology that the company promised was not actually capable of doing what they said it could do. And the whole fallout of that company, and I mean, there's court battle, all this stuff going on. The fallout of that company is heartbreaking, but I I couldn't help but think about that when it comes to our lives in a spiritual sense. Like, I think there are times often in our lives where we like build our whole lives on a lie. And we, we tell ourselves it's true and we think it's true, but in reality, it is not actually true. And today I want to, the title of my message is The Truth About Lies. We're going to take a deep dive into lies today, like where do they come from and how do we believe them? And, you know, more importantly and most importantly, how do we find freedom from lies in our life? And so first I want to lay a little bit of like theological groundwork for you so you understand like basically like a theology about lies. In John chapter 8, Jesus actually gives us his most in-depth teaching in all the four Gospels about the devil. And in this chapter is where we actually get the theme verse for this series. It's from John chapter 8, verse 36, and it says this, So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. And that's our prayer for you in this series is that as we're going through this content and we're like receiving from God and hearing from God that you would be truly free. Like it's possible for you to live a truly free life. And in that same section of scripture, he also, Jesus also tells us about the nature of lies and where they come from when he actually talks about the devil. And it's in John chapter eight, verse 44. And it says this, he's talking about the devil. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning. 
he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, not if he lies, but when he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So here's a few things for Jesus. The devil is real. He's a murderer. So what do murderers do? They're here to destroy life. And he is the opposite of what is true. And he's the starting point of all deception. So if you want to know where lies come from, they come from the devil. Um, And his primary method of spreading his agenda in our lives, in our culture, in the world, his primary method of doing that is through lies. So if he is the origin point of all lies, then how does he convince us? And we're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 3 to be able to see just a little bit more of how he does this. So in Genesis chapter 3, we find the very first place that someone is lied to in the Bible and where sin enters into the world. So Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says this, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. Pastor Brian actually talked about this in the first week of our series. He said, God said, you must not eat or even touch it, if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open, and as soon as you eat it, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So let's walk through this story kind of play by play. So the serpent uh, is later identified in the Bible as the personification of the devil. And it says that he is the shrewdest. Another translation of that is he's the most crafty uh, or deceitful. And his first lie to Eve was very subtle and it came in the form of a question. And he said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve replies, well, I think so, yes. And the next line, he comes at her way more directly. And he says, you will not certainly die for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And listen to the truth here. He came at her, not with a weapon, but with an idea. And here's the idea. God is not as good as you think he is. He's actually withholding from you. And if you separate yourself, and if you live apart from God and do your own thing, you'll be better off. And he played to her flesh. The woman, it says, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. 
So who doesn't want some good food, some beauty, and some social status? And she fell for it. And here's the truth. This is the lie beneath all other lies. It's the same pattern that the enemy does over and over and over again. He wants us to first question God and then separate ourselves from God in order to elevate ourselves, like I know better than God, so that we can define our lives based on the voice in our heads and what's in our heart rather than on the word of God. In other words, the enemy is lying to us about God, about ourselves, and about what will make us happy in life. And the reason that his lies are so effective is that they play to what the Bible calls our flesh. I mentioned that earlier. The devil's lies are not just like random untrue facts. Like he doesn't come with a lie that's like, Elvis is still alive. Why? Because I don't care. Maybe you care. I don't care. Um, he comes and he plays to like our flesh. It, sound, it probably sounds more like this. You deserve to be happy. You haven't been happy in your marriage in years. And you got married like when you were young and you've changed and this isn't what you thought it would be. But if you were to leave your partner or divorce your partner, I'm sure there would be someone else who would make you happier. And the truth is, it's just as false of a lie. Like a Google search could tell you how destructive that divorce can be. But this type of lie touches on like a deep part of our soul that wants to believe in marriage, that wants to believe in the covenant of marriage and the power that it has, that self-sacrificial love, the power that it has to change us and make us more like Jesus. But there's also another part of us that's the flesh that just wants to leave and be happy and to have it our own way, to give in to those desires. So we find ourselves in this battle back and forth, back and forth. And all of these lies, they build up and they create what the Bible calls a stronghold. Everybody say stronghold, stronghold. Here's what that means in scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul tells us what a stronghold is, or he gives us that language, and it says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So the biblical definition of a stronghold is actually a fortress, and you'll see a picture of it on the screen behind me, but it, it is like a, a fortress, literally. But in other words, it is like anything in which someone relies or puts their trust in. It's areas of our life that we have like, that have like gripped us, our addictions, our habits, what we believe about life, what we believe about success, what we believe about relationships. These lies build up and they create these fortresses. And the truth is that we're actually like trusting in that fortress to protect us instead of trusting in God. So it keeps us held like a prisoner. 
and we are locked by deception. And here's the truth. Let me speak some truth into your life today. If I say that today and you, like that resonates with you. I got a prayer card this week. We pray over prayer cards every single week. And I got a prayer card this week. And it was someone dealing with addiction. And the way that he described it was like, it's consuming me. It's consuming my thoughts. It's consuming my, it's all I think about. Like I have to do it. And here's when I wanna speak some truth into your life today. Jesus has defeated the enemy and his lies. Jesus has already won that battle. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter two, it says, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So let me speak this again into your life today. You have power over the strongholds in your life through Jesus. They do not have to keep you bound. You do not have to be a prisoner held in a fortress of lies. You have power over that through Jesus. And so today the question is, then how do I get out of it? How do we, how do we deal with these lies? And I want everybody to take a deep breath. <laughs> I know now that I've convinced you, like Buddy the Elf says, that you live on a throne of lies. I want to tell you and I want to help you, like, how do you deal with these lies? We're actually going to look at the life of Jesus, because as if we are people who follow Jesus, then, then it would make sense for us to follow the way that Jesus would fight the devil and his lies. So in Matthew chapter 4, we actually see um, Jesus and how he interacts with the devil and with lies. Uh, So Matthew chapter four, starting in verse one says this, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. So next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, I will give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. So in this story, let's kind of walk through it play by play again. In this story, literally right before this happens is the baptism of Jesus. And and scripture says that there's a loud voice that tells Jesus, you are my son whom I loved and with you I am well pleased. Um, And so when the enemy comes to him, he's actually coming to him with another version of the same question, which is this, did God really say that? The devil plays to the desire in Jesus's heart, the desire to take and build his kingdom in an easier way. 
In other words, to get the right thing in the wrong way. And so three times the enemy comes to Jesus and tempts him. And three times Jesus responds calmly with a quote from, script, from scripture. And here's the truth. If I were to imagine a battle in the desert between Jesus and the devil, this is not what I would imagine. I think I would imagine swords or battle cries or like an epic thunderstorm. Like I would imagine a different scene happening, but that is not what we see here. We see Jesus like basically like calmly having a conversation with the devil. And it's clearly a battle, but it's not like the type of battle that we would picture. So what is Jesus doing that would make him respond in that way? He's doing spiritual disciplines. He's doing practices from the way that he's lived his life. He's alone in, in the desert with God in prayer. He's fasting. He's thinking about scripture. So if, if Jesus fought the devil this way, then this is how we fight the devil as well. Not in some like emotional or spiritual frenzy, but in like a quiet confidence that God can overcome any sort of lie that we face. John Mark Comer says it this way, that spiritual disciplines are spiritual warfare. And Pastor Brian did an amazing job last week uh, kind of explaining disciplines and the importance of them. Um, and I also want to mention John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies, which is a phenomenal resource on freedom as well. If you want to take a deep dive into it, it's an amazing resource. And a lot of what I'm sharing today uh, is a reflection of some of his thoughts. But let's walk through this kind of, kind of briefly of how Jesus fought the devil. First thing is this, through quiet prayer. Uh, he goes into the desert alone. And you want to know what the desert sounds like? It's quiet. Uh, there's no inputs into his life, no external inputs, no internal inputs. He's not like scrolling social media in the desert. Um, he goes to the desert to sort through the voice of his father from the voice of the enemy. And um, some of you, I, as I was processing and preparing for this, some of you, you have prayer in your life. And you, that is a regular discipline that you have. But I want to encourage you, there, there is something special about quiet prayer. And parents, I know that's a challenge, and I have empathy for you. But there's something powerful about taking a few moments every day just to sit quietly with God. And I have to keep like a post-it note beside wherever I'm sitting, because I'm like, I gotta get groceries, and I gotta do this, and don't forget to text that person. Like, I have to write those things down as they come to my mind. And eventually, after doing it for a little bit, there's these moments with God, and it allows some of the things that we've been, like, holding on to and, and like, sit in our soul, it kind of allows them to come to the surface. And I really believe some of you here today, like, you love God, and you love praying, but you're scared to just sit in the quiet and let those things come to the surface. And I want you to know there's something so powerful about that. John Mark Comer says it this way, it is in quiet prayer that the devil's lies are exposed and brought out into the open. We see what thought patterns dominate our minds and is there that we face the decision. Will we give our attention to these thoughts or curate new ones? 
Well, we trust the devil's lies or Jesus's truth. It's there in the quiet that we win or lose the battle for our mind's attention and our heart's affection. Here's the second thing that Jesus is doing. It's scripture. He's thinking about, he's using scripture. So here's the truth. You fight the lies of the devil by not thinking about them, which is, sounds so simple, really hard to do. It would be like me saying, don't think about a purple elephant right now. What are you thinking about? A purple elephant. Like it is, it is so hard to do that. Um, and you can't just think about nothing unless you, I've heard about something that's more common in the male species called a nothing box, which I have no concept of. But you can't just simply think about nothing. So you give your mind something else to think about. Instead of thinking about that lie, you think about scripture instead. And here's just like a very simple framework of how to do this. First off, you can think about what is the thought, feeling, or sensation that you're experiencing? And I put like a thought or feeling, also put sensation because there's sometimes we have a reaction in our body like, like we can't breathe or our chest feels tight or, or whatever. And that is, a, that is also a response, right? The next thing is this, to identify the lie. What is the lie that you believe beneath the thought or feeling or sensation? Next thing is to identify the truth. What does the truth of scripture say? And then lastly, you meditate on that truth. You can leave this slide up for just a moment if you're taking notes, but it's just a very simple idea. It's a very hard discipline to master. It's something that for most of us as followers of Jesus, we spend our whole lives doing. And it's like changing the channel. It's like, oh, that lie came in. I'm gonna change the channel to the truth. Two minutes later, that lie came in again. I'm gonna change the channel to the truth. We have this ability to control our minds and our thoughts. And the more that we do it, the easier the truth becomes to really believe and to understand. Romans chapter eight says this, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. It's the promise of God's word. If we think about the right things and the truth of scripture, we'll have peace and life in our lives. Dallas Willard says it this way, as we first turned away from God in our thoughts, so it is in our thoughts that the first movements toward the renovation of the heart occur. Thoughts are the place where we can and must begin to change. And I know today, um, nothing that I shared with you today is like earth shattering. Like I basically told you to read your Bible and pray, which is like the number one Sunday school answer of all time. Um, but I think some of you today, like you're new to these concepts. Maybe you're new to faith or you've never really heard about freedom before and you're new to these concepts and welcome. Welcome to what it looks like to fight the devil. Um, but there are some of you here today, and I think and felt such a burden in my heart for you this week that you know this. Like you've heard this message, 
This is not the first time that this type of message has been communicated before. And here's what I feel in my heart, and I want to challenge you today, that you are stalled in your relationship with God right now, in your growth, in your freedom, not because you are knowledge deficient, but because you are practice deficient. We live in a culture that that thinks like, if I just knew more, then I would change. And, And knowledge is not bad, but you are not knowledge deficient, you're practice deficient. You're not putting into practice this in your life and you still have those strongholds in your life. We understand this concept from a sports perspective. So I played basketball when I was in high school, which is probably not a big shocker because I'm really tall. Um, But I played basketball in high school. And one of the things that our coach would make us do is that on Saturdays, before we would leave, we would always do like a shoot around on Saturday mornings. And before we would leave, we had to make 100 free throws. And if you know anything about like free throws, the number one advice that you get is to do the same routine every single time. So every time you step up to shoot a free throw, you do the same thing. Like if you threw me a basketball right now and asked me to do it, I would do the same, same little method and same little routine. Why? Because it's muscle memory. Like it gets into your body. And so the idea is that when it is like a fourth quarter, game is on the line, you're down by two, you get fouled, and you have to step up and shoot a free throw. The idea is that you've so automatically put that into your muscle memory that you have a way better shot of making that than if you don't. The same thing is true from a spiritual perspective. And I think we don't often think about it like that. But the purpose of the disciplines and the purpose of practice is to get these ideas and concepts not into our mind, but into our heart and into our body. It's like muscle memory. And so the more that we do it, the more that it becomes more of a natural response. So when we are in like the fourth quarter of life and we get hit with something that was unexpected, the more that we've practiced, the more that we're able to respond in such a way to fight those things, to remain calm and confident, to remain like Jesus did in the wilderness while he was fighting the enemy, just a quiet confidence. So it goes from our mind, it gets into our body and it becomes a response that we can make even in the most difficult times of life. And today, um, Brad, you can go ahead and take this podium. Um, I wanted, when I uh, knew that we were doing this series and um, Pastor Brian asked me to share, I asked him if I could talk about lies. And um, the reason why is that because of all the areas of my relationship with God that I've grown in the past couple of years, it has to do with this. And um, a couple of years ago, I was facing one of the hardest seasons of my life. And um, I share this with you today, not to be like a hero, but just to tell you, like, I'm just a person following Jesus too. And there are challenges that I have too. And so I was faced, I was about to turn, hit another birthday and I was turning 33, which I know I don't look a day over 28. I'm just kidding. Um, But I was hitting my 33rd birthday 
and I had started to experience like so much anxiety in my life and I never really experienced that before and um, I, I would like not be able to sleep at night I would have these like intrusive thoughts I would have these like I would call them like hamster wheel thoughts it's like I just couldn't make my mind stop And for me, the challenge of that time in my life was that I was hitting another year, I was turning a year older, and my life did not look like what I thought it would. And I had experienced so much like growth and, you know, God had done so many things in my life, but when it came to um, the desire to have a family and to be married, that, that dream remained unanswered. And that's my story. But so many of you have your own story of like, what do you do when life doesn't look like what you thought it would? For you, it might not be like marriage or a family, but it may be infertility. It may be like a diagnosis that came out of nowhere that's hurting someone that you really love. It might be like a financial, just you're just under ruins right now and you you like... You don't know what to do or what like you're some of you today I think it might be grief like an unexpected death some of you I don't know what it is but what do you do when life doesn't look like what you thought it would and more importantly what do you do with God when life doesn't look like what you thought it would and I had a conversation one day I went to counseling and I was just kind of like processing this situation with my counselor and I said I want to give up control of this in my life because I could identify that that control was causing the anxiety in my life I was trying to control something that like I could not control and so I'm like I know like I want to give up control I know I need to give up control like I understand that concept I'm like spending time with God every day. I have amazing community around me. I'm helping to lead a church. Like, and I know that that's what I should do, but like, I just can't. And she looked at me and she said, I think it's hard for you to give up control because you don't actually trust God. And I was like, you're right, I don't. And with tears down my face, It was like, I don't trust God, not with this thing. I can trust God with so many different areas of my life and I've seen God come through. But when it comes to this thing, I don't trust God. I've been disappointed, I've been hurt, I've been let down. I've seen God come through and do miracles for so many other people. I've prayed for people and I've seen God do things in their life that were supernatural. So why isn't God doing this for me? My only conclusion is he's not hearing my prayer. And and even deeper than that, I don't know if I think he cares. And the truth is, I didn't trust God with that area of my life. And one of the best analogies that I've seen when it comes to trust, and Pastor Brian has used this analogy before, is it has to do with a chair. And here's what it looks like is like, I can understand that this is a chair intellectually. I can understand that how it's engineered. I can do Google searches. I can look up the manufacturer. I can look up who made it. I can look and see what I think about it. 
I can hear other people's experiences of this tear, but I don't actually trust until I like put my full weight into this tear and I put my confidence in it. And it's the same thing with God. We can understand conceptually about God. We can, we can do Google searches and we can talk to our friends and you can listen to people's stories that stand on a stage or over a cup of coffee. But the truth is that you don't actually trust God until you put your full confidence in Him. And the truth is the enemy cannot take away our choice. That's called free will. Like that was established in before time. Like God established the concept of free will. Same thing with Eve. He could not take away her choice. But what he does is he convinces us that the chair, that God isn't really actually worthy of our trust. And it sounds like those questions that you've been wondering, like, did God really say? Like, is God really going to come through for you? What if God fails you this time? What if God is like actually really out of touch or he's way too busy to deal with what's going on in your life? What if he's like irrelevant and he's like out of touch and like now we know better of how to live our lives? And he lies and he lies and he lies. And the truth is, can I still sit in this chair? Yes, I can. Do I want to sit in this chair? No, I do not. I want to throw it in the trash after the service. And so the enemy lies to us and lies to us. And it's the same thing he did to Eve. He lies to us about God and he separates us from God. And he elevates our view of ourselves. Like you know better than God about this. And in culture, it sounds like you do you. Be true to yourself. Make your own way. Do your own thing. Do what makes you happy. And the anxiety continues to go up. The depression continues to go up and the mental health crisis continues to go up. And I'm not trying to diminish or simplify any of those things, but what I'm saying is, it's a lie. And what the enemy convinces us is like, we know better than God. So like, I'll define my life. This is the same thing that happened to me. God can have a lot of my life, but he's not been good to me in this life. So I'll separate myself and I'll control it. But what if that's not actually true? What if that's all based on a lie? And what if God is actually the most reliable and consistent? What if God is actually so full of love, more than you could ever imagine? What if he's like relentless in his love towards you? What if he's patient? The Bible describes love as like the long-suffering patience of God? What if he's long-suffering with you? What if he's kind? The Bible says that his kindness leads us to repentance, not as anger, not as frustration with you, 
His kindness leads us to repentance. What if God is not actually out of touch at all? But what if scripture and God's word is like the best and most relevant way to live your life? What if he has all wisdom and knowledge? And what if he has the power to change and to heal and and to do whatever you're asking him to do? What if he's not distant, but scripture says like he delights in every detail of our lives? And what if he's the most strategic and your life is not just a chaotic mess, but what if it's, the, the Bible says that he orders every step of our lives. What if he's your shepherd? Like he leads and guides you. What if his goodness is following after you all the days of your life? And the truth is, do I still have a choice to sit in this chair? Of course I do. But what I have found in my own life and what has become so real to me is that it's so much easier to sit in a chair of a God that I trust and I have an accurate picture of. And today, does this mean just because I've chosen to trust God that I get everything that I want when I want it? No, it does not. I follow Jesus. I've submitted my life to Jesus. But it means that I trust in an ever-loving and ever-faithful God. And my life looks totally different. The circumstances haven't changed. But like, I love God. And I actually believe that He's good and he's doing things that I can't even see. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at queencitypeople or visit queencitypeople.com.